Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. I am Claire Campos O'Neill. And I am Nicole Abshire. Thank you for tuning in. This is our mini episode in our food insecurity series, uh, but this is also going to be a little bit of a different <laughs> episode. Typically in our minis, we tag on to the Monday interview episode and expand on the, the things that our guest shared with us and the things that we learned, um, but we're going to pivot just a bit and still keep it political. We're going to talk about a political experience that we have had. And I'm going to share an experience that I had recently because it's another sort of pulling back the curtain and seeing how, oh, like this is how power works and how legislators are influenced. So we thought it'd be fun to take y'all along with me in my journey and share what happened. I know. I was just thinking we should these because I feels like we're going to do episodes like this every so often. We could call them out in the community. Oh, yeah. Colon. Like Nicole goes to the Poor People's Campaign. Out in the community, colon. Claire goes to a legislative briefing. Yes. Anyway, ah, I like it. What's up for debate, everybody? You'll see in the episode title, whatever we decided on. Yeah, yeah. And if you're like, you should call it this, <laughs> tell us. And Let we'll be us like, know. We're done. always looking for feedback. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so what happened was um, – <laughs> Y'all might remember our good friend, friend of the pod, Patty Everett. She's the one who told us all about charter schools and their impact on public education. Patty reached out to me and she said, would you be interested in speaking at a staff briefing at the Capitol about charter expansion amendments? And I was like, of course, I love talking about this stuff. Um, yeah. And I'm like, this is great. Like, this is right up my alley. I'm really passionate about public education and making sure that every Texas student has access to free, high quality education and charters are kind of getting in the way of that. Um, but the big thing we wanted to leave the staff, the staffers with was the impact of charter expansion amendments. So if you're like, what are you talking about? I really recommend you go listen to the episode where we interviewed Patty because she digs into this and why it is such a problem for public education. I will briefly explain what it is. So here in Texas, we have our local ISDs, which is what most kids go to. It's like your normal like neighborhood school. And then we have our charter schools. So like KIPP, IDEA, Harmony, uh, those are kind of the big ones. And then there's some smaller ones. Whenever you want to open a new charter in Texas, it's kind of a rigorous vetting process where the community has an opportunity to give their input. And it goes before the elected State Board of Education and they vote for it or against it. Charter expansion amendments are very, very, very different. So if you are already a charter, if you're already an idea, you already have your charter, uh, charter? I think that's it. You have your charter. Your char you yeah. have your charter. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty easy to make more like charter babies happen. Um, you basically 
go through some application process through TEA. Uh, listen to the Patty episode, but I think this is what happens. You submit something to TEA, um, and then it's the uh, more or less the education commissioner who decides if those schools are allowed to move forward. And the public does not have the opportunity for input. And it is very much done in secret and in the dark. And this is what we wanted legis- the staffers to know because it's not a democratic process and it doesn't have the oversight that other schools do, local ISDs. And it's very unfair. And it's very, very expensive the way these schools just pop up and pop up and pop up. Like that's our taxpayer money. Yeah, keep in mind, right? We're talking about publicly funded They're public schools. Campuses. Yes. Yes. Charter schools are 100% funded by the state of Texas. So this matters, you guys. This is like our money, you know, that's just being allowed to go out the door for these new schools to open when the community never asked for them. Okay. So what's a legislative staff briefing? Uh, I wasn't really sure, but I was like, I'll be there. I'll figure it out. It'll be fun. Um, I I'm assuming this is what happens, like behind the scenes. So our legislators at the Capitol have staff members, and some of them, their role is to be educated on all these different issues because they're making decisions about so many different things and to report back to the boss and be like, okay, this is what I learned here. This is what I learned here. And they're getting all perspectives. They're getting our two cents. They're getting charter advocates' two cents. So they're having to sift through the information and figure out what's best for our district, what's true, what's misinformation. Um, So it seems like a tough job. Okay. And I, just for folks who might not be aware, because this is one of those things that is new to me, right? We have talked many times about how legislators make very little money, $7,200 a year. But what they do have are staffs that are publicly funded, I guess, is that the best way to put it? They are, they are paid for by taxpayer dollars. So what we're talking about is a staff member who is a full-time employee of whatever legislator it is that they work for. And so like one of the positions that you're describing, it would be somebody like a legislative director. So they're in charge of knowing the different legislative issues for their particular representative or senator that they serve. And they help to vet the information and get the information to their legislator. But they are a full-time employee that is paid by the state. Mm -hmm. Yes, very important job. And thank goodness that Texas allocates money for staffers because I learned, and I shared this in another episode, that not all states have this. Like apparently in New New Mexico, not only do you not get paid, you don't get staffers. So It just makes you (laughs) wonder how anything gets done. But here's what I quick plug for New Mexico. <laughs> I mean, that sounds really wild. I don't know how anybody then can do those jobs. I will say that I've had to interact with government entities in New Mexico, and they've all been incredibly lovely. I'm not advocating for not paying people for <laughs> the jobs that they do in any way. I just don't at all want us to sound like we are criticizing New Mexico. It's a state that is on my heart. So that's all. Mm. Yes, yes. New Mexico is our neighbor, so it's good to we know. Love, we love that. <laughs> yes. So for this legis- for this legislative staff briefing, uh, I went to the Capitol, and it was located in the, I don't know, some meeting room. And uh, it was a bunch of organizations, coalitions of groups that support public education, and they got together. 
They provided breakfast. They had a lineup of speakers. I was at the very end of the speaker list to share my personal experience with charter expansion amendments. And they were there to just educate the folks in the room. And it was really great. It kicked off with Kevin Brown. He is the executive director of the Texas Association of School Administrators. Previously, he was a superintendent, I believe, in the San Antonio area for many, many years. And he just gave like a brief rundown of charter schools, charter expansion amendments, how they impacted his particular district, how they impact Texas on a whole, and just how it's a very two-tiered unfair system. So he set the stage. Um, there were other folks who chimed in, um, like this this one gentleman, uh, Steve uh, Aldman. He works as a Senate policy specialist for disability rights in Texas. And it was interesting because he talked about the way other people did too in the room about the way charter schools sort of pick their kids instead of families picking charters, which is a narrative they put out there. But um, how when students have disabilities, they are incredibly expensive to educate. Some districts spend up to $150,000 per child who is um, special needs. And uh, he said that there's ways that they can um, – write them up as like a discipline case so that they are asked to leave or dismissed. I don't know how you call it, how they're no longer allowed to attend that school. And where do they go? They go back to the local ISD. Um, and it's really harmful for students who have special needs because they are not being served at the same level. And local ISDs have to take them, which they're happy to do, but they have like fewer resources now because the charter is taking kids away and they have students who are, you know, more expensive to educate. So it's just creating so much, um, so much tension and uh, financial pressure on local ISDs. Um, an interesting thing, I'm remembering this now that Kevin said was that when they talk about discipline, charter schools, uh, I guess their discipline procedures are different from local ISDs. I hope I'm saying this right. Correct me, anyone who, who, if I'm getting a little off track here. But anyway, he was saying that you could get dis disciplined for like not taking a pencil to school. They could like write you up for that. So it's a little like severe, you know, like kids do that all the time. But for that, for like truancy, for these things that, again, it's kind of self-select who they want, the student body that they want, they're like, oh, well, that's going to be a disciplinary infraction. Oh, you don't have like the right jacket or whatever. So that's what they do to retain the kids that they want to have in their schools. So they're pointing this out to staffers like, mm, again, not really a fair system here. Um, so anyway, we had, there was more folks who were sharing fascinating things. I feel like I know a good amount about this, but even I was like, mind blown because New information is always coming out too because it's not very transparent. Um, and at the end, I shared about my experience with charter expansion amendments. Uh, loyal listeners, you've, you've heard this story. <laughs> but to tell everybody one more time, um, where I live, it's in this newer part of Austin. And I was sharing with those in the room. I was like, when we bought our home five years ago, the narrative and the marketing was like, 
this is going to be like the next Mueller. And I was like, do y'all are, do y'all know Mueller? People in the room and they're nodding their heads. I'm like, Mueller's incredible. It's this place in Austin uh, that has a grocery store, a children's museum, farmer's markets, Alamo Draft House, shopping, restaurants, everything. It's the it's the best place ever. It's really convenient because you can just walk everywhere. Yes. So, it's like the model of building yes. a population-dense community. Mm-hmm. That's very attractive to me and the other people who purchased uh, because we have young kids. It just seemed like a much easier way to go about living our lives if we could just walk to get a drink or go have dinner or go get some groceries. So we're like, yeah, 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 we want that. So we buy an Easton Park. Well, because this is the vision we have in our minds, when uh, th- there is some, there is a piece of land in our community that is designed for commercial development. And we're all, we all have our eyes on it. Like, what's coming? Is it going to be the cool restaurant they promised us? <laughs> Well, one day on the face the neighborhood Facebook page, a neighbor put up a marketing flyer for this commercial space and it had CVS written into one of the lots and Idea Charter Schools into a big part of it. And I would say the general consensus of the neighbors was, "What? Huh? What? <laughs> like what's a charter school? Why are we getting a school?" Um because where we live, we have houses, we have cows, there's a lot of ranch land, and we have schools. A brand new school opened in our neighborhood. There's one down the road, mile and a half away. Charter school is going to go right in the middle of the two schools. So it made no sense to anybody with common sense. Like, this is dumb. We should be getting everything else but a school. So I couldn't let it go. I had to do all this research to figure out how to stop this from happening. At first, just because I didn't want another school. But then I figured out I don't want a charter school for all the reasons I talked about earlier found Patty. She educated me. Patty came to my house, educated me and my neighbors about this two-tiered system we have here in Texas. Then my neighbors came back to my house. We wrote letters to Education Commissioner Mike Morath, and we were like, Dear Commissioner, we want a grocery store, not a charter school. Please deny this expansion amendment. And we also talked to our state representative at the time, Eddie Rodriguez, helped educate him on this issue because a lot of people know about this. This is why we did the staff briefing. And he also helped us talk to, uh, he, he did something. I, I think he, he like reached out to the TEA office. So we're like, is this how you do it? I don't know. Nobody knows. This is not a transparent process. Well, it just so happened that this was the year that there was a lot of negative press about IDEA, the charter chain that was supposed to come to my neighborhood. They were spending millions of dollars to rent private jets. They had like Super Bowl ads uh, they had like box seats at the Alamo Dome, just like really egregious spending that you would never see from local school districts. So bad press, maybe our letters. In the end, Mike Morath denied the charter expansion amendment, which was pretty unheard of. I remember Patty telling me, this is a long shot. So just know that. And I was like, that's okay, Patty. I like long shots. And it was successful. Um, But my whole point to the staffers was we didn't know what the hell we were doing. It was just by happenstance that we were able to stop this before it came. So many communities turn around and there's a charter school and they just don't they don't know anything. So there needs to be some legislation done to change the process because right now it sucks and it's not fair. Yes, it just doesn't have the same level of public input 
that is required for public ISDs. It's yes, the two tiered system is such a great way to describe it. And I had a question when you were talking about this, which is, are staffers required to come to these briefings or do they choose what they attend? That's a good question. I I get the impression that it's whatever the representative tells them to go to. So it's probably at their representative's discretion what they go to and don't go to. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, because they had a uh, – Patty had a lot of um, – like packets put together for different representatives offices and some trickled in had to like leave to go to another meeting but I don't I don't know that anyone had to it was like you must be there you must attend this meeting I think it was kind of come and learn if you can everyone's welcome I would assume Um, but yeah I don't think it's just interesting to definitely see I don't love this phrase, but see how the sausage is made. Like, see how people go about getting the information that they have. And it sounds like you can be as curious as you want to be. Mm-hmm. And it depends a lot on the leadership within your office. And also, of course, your political leanings, if you're sort of already kind of primed to be open to hearing certain messages or not, it that depends on then what you attend or don't attend. It's really Mm -hmm. interesting. Yes. And I would say most of the people in the room were very friendly to the message that we were communicating and like nodding their heads and and they they were with us. So I don't know if there are many there who were per who were unsure of their stance or even persuadable. They were like on the other end. Um, But I don't know, to me, it's really compelling because so many people who spoke let's say they work at an education agency now organization that's helping create like equitable public education. They're former educators. A lot of them, like they're not in this for the money. I don't get, I didn't get paid to be there. I was just like, I want to volunteer my time. I want to help how I can. So to me, like I think about Chris Tackett in my head, follow the money. It's like, we're not, this is not like the money heavy little organization, you know, a lot alliance group, whatever you want to call it. It's it's people who really care about making sure all Texas students get the best free high quality public education and how are we going to do that? So there's none of this like corporate interest at play or anything like that. Yes. Which is an important point because the charter school association is very what are the words? Let me find the words. They have a very slick message that is, it's interesting when I've gone to their website because, I mean, you can't look at it and watch the videos and not feel completely drawn into the message that they're putting out into the world. But what is hard to do if you don't have any information about the case against charters is to know what questions to ask. Um, they're really good at building a narrative that charter schools are the answer to everything. Right. 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 And and they are 
that they piggyback on this narrative that our public education system is failing or lacks isn't adequate. La- and and I, I wouldn't disagree that it lacks. It does lack for something. It lacks for fully for, for full funding. I mean, we heard about this from Laura Subrin Yeager when she was on our show. We rank like oh, super duper low. Yeah. Well, there's some... Or 37th. Yeah, I yeah, think I've seen... It depends like who, who you talk to, but we're... We're low, like in the 40s uh, statewide compared to other states on funding public education. It's like it's like six thousand dollars per kid. Uh, And we should be closer to 10, I want to say. So that's what we lack, paying the appropriate amount for our students to get a great education. Agree. However, they're able to spin this and be like, the solution is choice. And I'm like, and, and the other, the other spiel spiel is that it doesn't take away from your local ISD. Like it's in partnership with yeah. your local ISD. And that's that it's lie. like this great movement together and that everybody improves because of this, because it's increased competition that only makes public ISDs better. And it's just in reality, not how it works. Right. Yeah. I don't know how you can be in competition with something and also be a partner of something. Like it's oil and water. It doesn't work. Dollars are dollars. And when they are removed, <laughs> then something suffers. Like that's just how it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it was a great opportunity to get to share more about this topic with the staffers. Oh, it was funny um, because after it wrapped up, this woman came up to me and she was like, so what happened to the land? (laughs) And I was like, well, what happened was Idea sold it back to the developer Brookfield and we don't know yet what's going to be coming in its place. And I had a brief thought. Oh, they'd already purchased it. Oh, this whole system is really bizarre. And if we ever get a big pot of money to do some investigative journalists, we're not journalists, but you know, partner with a journalist, I would love to know how this is allowed to even happen. Idea purchased the land, did not have approval from TEA yet to put the school there. So it seems like putting the cart before the horse, right? And who who funded the purchase of that? Uh, and you know, I, I, I can't guarantee. I would bet that they made money off of that transaction because they held it for a couple of years and property values have been going up in Texas, especially here. So if they sold it back to the developer at a higher price, did they just net that profit? What? Yeah. But here's the thing. Here's exactly the point that we have been making over all of these conversations. We don't know. We don't know. And we don't have a way of finding out. Unless I you mean, like submit a lot public... of Freedom of Information right. Act requests. And, you know, it will take time and a lot of digging. And who knows by the time that we get the answer, it may be irrelevant at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's really, I would feel like the biggest takeaway if somebody were to have when they do this charter school investigation work is that it's they are just completely different systems from what public ISDs have to be compliant to. And so they're not as transparent. You don't know what's happening. It's hard to find out. They can sell you this narrative that you can't even really fact check in real time. It's just completely different. Yes. Yes. And they will say something and the the public school pro public school groups will be like that's not right and they'll say prove it so the onus is on the other groups to prove their 
misinformation to be lies. So they're having to to combat these false narratives and try to push forward the real narrative. I mean, it's so much work on that on the uh, on the people on the side of public education. It's a very it's a it's like a David and Goliath fight. But what ha- what makes me hopeful is that there's the people on the David side are people who care. I'm there because I care a lot about this. Patty's there. She gives so much of her time to this because she is just like, I can't live for this unfairness. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're not we're not like the charters where we are hired hands to push forward agendas. Like, mm-mm, it's none of that. It's like, this is important to me. This like is true to my heart. So that's why I'm here. You can't run out of that gas, right? <laughs> like when you really care, yeah. that will sustain you. Exactly. So that will keep the keep the movement yes. going. Yep. So yeah, hopefully that uh, provided some insight. Yeah, it's good to see behind the curtain. Thanks for mm-hmm. sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll wrap this one up. But per usual, if you haven't signed up for our newsletter, please do that. That's at our website, gobehindtheballot.com, or, and or leave us a review, share the episode with a friend, just help us get the word out because we are really hoping here to help educate folks on what's happening in Texas and why we need to pay attention and know because it's our government. But we got to participate. That's about it. We'll talk to y'all soon. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com, where you'll find links to all of our social media, and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks everybody and have a good one.